Oh, hi, Mark. Welcome to episode 83 of the Rutgers Scoutcast. I am your host, Sam Hellman. Another episode, another week, and it's been it's been quite the transition from October to November for Rutgers, especially for football coach Chris Ash. And don't worry, we'll be talking about plenty of that stuff once Scout and 24-7 national recruiting analyst Brian Doan joins the show. Uh, really, it's been quite a couple weeks. I I watched Rutgers go 3-0 last weekend between football against Maryland, wrestling against Maryland, Nick Soriano's debut, and the highly anticipated Rutgers basketball exhibition against St. John's. Yeah, it doesn't count towards your NCAA aspirations or really doesn't count at all, but for Rutgers it means a lot. For, for basketball fans, you remember... Corey Sanders letting them down with some missed free throws that should have won at Carneseca a couple years ago. Everybody remembers the Big East tournament where people lost their minds when Rutgers got screwed out of that game with three seconds left on the clock or whatever it was. Anytime you beat St. John's is a statement, and they've got some talented players like Shamori Pons that Rutgers matched up against. Deshaun Freeman I thought was the best player on the court, and I wouldn't have said that coming in. But basketball opens tonight, and we'll talk about that in the body of the show. First, we have an interview segment, and our interview this week is with Rutgers junior safety Kai Hester. Kai Hester is from DePaul Catholic. He spent a little bit of time at St. Joe's Montvale as well during his high school career. Then he signed with Miami after decommitting from Rutgers, came back to Rutgers with some family reasons, and really he wanted to be at Rutgers all along, and why not look at the season he's having, look at Look at what he's been able to build himself into after a rough start to his career transferring out of Miami. So you notice this isn't our traditional 10, 12 minute interview, but there's a good reason for that. So the way that Rutgers, let's just say Rutgers has made some changes. Coach Chris Ash has made some changes and they're winning games, so it's hard to argue. But now after practice, we get about six or seven minutes to do our all the interviews that day. So I need to do my podcast interview, and I need to do all of my stuff for ScarletReport.com. That comes first, and whatever minutes are left go to the podcast. So that's why Kai Hester is a little shorter than the normal interview. But why is Rutgers cutting it down to six, seven minutes of interviews as opposed to the 12 minutes we used to get? Well, they got to go watch film. Now they go watch practice film immediately after practice. Even if you've got class, say practice ends at 6.30 and you've got a 7.40 over on College Ave, well... That extra five ten minutes by leaving practice earlier, you can cram in extra film before you gotta you know shower, eat, and get the bus over to College Ave to get to your seven forty over in Campbell Hall or whatever the situation may be. So that's why they're a little shorter. We'll see if this changes going forward, but I, I mean I got no problem with it. I can't blame Rutgers at all because they're winning games, and you can see that film study is a big part of that, and we discussed that in the show as well. Plus, to be honest, it's it's me and NJ.com that go out to most of these practices. Me, Brian Fonseca, NJ.com, and sometimes the Asbury Park Press. It's not really like they've got to cram in 15 interviews into six minutes. We can still get what we need with the four or five of us that are coming out on Wednesdays and Tuesdays to practice every day. So it works for everybody, and it worked out great this week because I'm excited here to give you my interview with Kai Hester, the turnover guy. What's going on, Kai? How are you, man? Doing good. Having fun? Yeah, yes, sir. So, hey, how excited are you for Penn State week? Oh, man, it's great, man. You know what I mean? Uh, since we came in, 
to the Big Ten, you know, my first my first year when I came back here, you know, it was a crazy game. The stadium was electric. And just when we went there, the next year, even that was crazy. So, you know what I mean? It's going to be a great game and expecting a great atmosphere from their fans and the, my fans as well. The atmosphere has been awesome the last two years. The the result of the game probably frustrating both uh-huh. times. So what are you seeing on film? Are you preparing differently this time? Oh, uh, You know, just watching our keys and just watching, you know, picking on tendencies that they do and just, you know, stopping their best players and, and you know, executing the game plan. That's, that's the main thing right now. Do you like the reputation you're getting as a turnover guy now? Oh, definitely. You know, that's what Jasmine preaches to us, you know, that we need more turnovers on defense. You know, we need to score on defense and, you know, give the offense the ball. Anything I do to help the team, you know, that's what I would do. What's the first thing that you think of when you catch we, you catch a pick? You're, you think in six? Like, what comes to your mind right first away? First thing is who's around me. Just make sure I don't give the offense the ball back because, you know, a lot of people get interceptions or fumble recoveries and give the offense back the ball. So, you know, I'm just making sure I'm clear and then, then I just see the end zone and I just go from there. So you're not instantly looking to pitch it to someone else? Oh, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Coach Bush would go crazy if I did that so no no definitely what's the feeling getting a pick six and scoring a touchdown knowing I mean it's fun it's what you want to do but such a momentum shift oh definitely you know it's crazy you just feel the crowd erupting you know you just everyone just showing you love on the team and it just feels great you know just to help the team and just get points on the board and get us closer to the win Okay, how much have you enjoyed your time here? You're getting older now. You transferred in from Miami. How mm-hmm. much have you enjoyed the time you've had at Rutgers? Oh, man, it's so been far? fun, you know, being back home, just playing in front of my family. I got all types of family coming to every game, playing in front of my mom every week, and just being able to go home. And, and just a lot of you know, a lot of these guys I'm playing with now, you know, I played with in high school, played against, so, you know, I got a great relationship with a lot of them. So it's just been fun, you know. I gained a lot, gained a lot of extra brothers, you know, just being on the team the last couple of years, you know, and the brotherhood right now is just so close. Everyone on defense just love each other. You know, we all hang out and things like that. So, man, it's a great experience. You've played far away from home, and you've also played here with Miami and Rutgers. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest difference when you're doing it at home? Because I'm sure you see kids from Montvale or DePaul looking to leave yeah. Jersey, uh, but the you decided to The biggest thing is just being able to go home whenever you want to. You know I mean? You had a tough day. You know, you want to see your mom, even home-cooked meals. You know, you just drive, you know, 40, 40 minutes up the, uh, the turnpike or, or the parkway, and you're home, and you can just drive right back and, and be back at school. So it's just like you, you're, you're away from home far enough, but you're still close enough to home as well. Who would you say is your favorite Rutgers player? Like, if you're if you're a fan, who's your favorite player at Rutgers? Right now or, or like? At all time. All time? Probably Ray Rice. Yeah? Yeah, definitely Ray Rice. How old were you watching him? I had to be probably maybe middle school, maybe. Definitely. Maybe middle school. Yeah. Middle school, like, around that time, you know, he's, you know, he was all over New Jersey. You just see him everywhere things like that so you know I was, when I used to come to games it used to be crazy just watching him play and things like that second thing what's your favorite memory at Rutgers your time at Rutgers so far what do you remember most um best memory probably be honestly the intercept my first interception against Michigan State that was probably the craziest you know blackout they were ranked and we, were, uh, we were beating them ended up coming up short but that interception was huge like playing the game and then uh, last thing, where's your favorite place to eat at Rutgers? Oh, easily crispy. Crispy pizza in the yard is a, has the best food, everything. Sandwiches, pasta, pizza, you name it, they have everything. All right, thanks, Kai. I appreciate it, man. No problem. All right, recruiting spotlight time. So we bring in national recruiting analyst Brian Doan. Obviously, our spotlight shines upon the Newest member of the Rutgers 2019 recruiting class, and that is Jerron Hayek of Wayne Hills. He plays quarterback, plays DB for for them. I think at Rutgers it'll probably be safety, special teams. Maybe he'll get a look on offense. Safety. 
Brian says safety. We'll see because, you know, we're talking about a 16-year-old. Who knows who's uh, who's coaching, how he develops, all that kind of stuff over the next two years. But, hey, good pickup for Rutgers because it's a kid that if you decide you want him, you have to get him. No excuse not to get Jerron Hayek with his two brothers on board. Sam, this one's right up your alley. This is the kind of kid you love to cover in recruiting and that you always talk about Rutgers needing and, and who they should get because he's a kid that wants to be at Rutgers. It's funny, I was I was standing next to him. If you look at his Twitter and the picture of him and his brother from the game on Saturday night, I was about five feet off screen um, just watching how happy they both were to be discussing the win and just how comfortable they both were there. And so for Jerron, it, it made sense. I saw him play last Friday night. He got injured during it, and he played quarterback, which... You know, he's not playing quarterback in no, but college. This, this is but, how things work in high school. Yeah, you Brendan it. Brendan Devero was their state yeah. championship quarterback last year. Yeah, and what you do is if you don't have your legit, really good high school quarterback, you take one of your best athletes or your best athlete and you put him there and see how much he can run with the ball and throw and do all that stuff. But the limited time I saw him in the secondary, I, I liked what I saw just in terms of him coming downhill. People will take this out of context and think he's the next coming at safety but when I watch him as a high school player his mentality his approach um, the way he plays is the same as Joe LaFez used to play at Rutgers go ahead everybody run with it he's going to be the next Joe LaFez no that's who he reminds me of and that's a good thing because Joe was physical and he had to learn how to cover. I remember that first year or two, man. He forgot that you're allowed to turn around yeah. and locate the ball. But, man, he could blitz. He, oh, boy, could he blitz. And good thing there was no targeting calls then. Yeah. Um, but you bring up a good point with blitzing because Rutgers is an awful blitzing team. And you get athleticism and toughness in your secondary. And when you start looking, and it's hard to project that far ahead if you're a fan trying to manipulate the roster and figuring out. You don't really care. You just want to know how they're going to do against Penn State, and then can they beat Indiana and Michigan State and go to a ball. But you need to start replenishing your safety depth. That's a key thing. I think cornerbacks are good for next year, but safety depth is going to be key, and he, he's an early piece to it. And, he, and he's a great kid from a tremendous family. Definitely. So the it is pronounced Hayek, by the way, for those that aren't sure confirm that with you know all 15 of them when I asked but uh we started following that family about I don't know 18 months ago right before Tyler hit the camp scene and semi blew up Hunter was injured as a rising senior so he didn't really hit the camp scene as hard but been following him for a while wanted to do what I could to help out Hunter get more exposure when schools weren't really recruiting him as a senior then Jerry Kill came and, you know, who cares what I write? Jerry Kill liked him. That's all that matters. And they got him and he's playing now. But uh, I remember Jerron getting an offer around junior day visits in may maybe February he got the offer. Uh, it was definitely during basketball season because I know I interviewed him in the middle of a basketball game. I remember that. Was he playing? He wasn't playing, but I also interviewed Lance Teray about his Rutgers offer in the middle of a Rutgers basketball game. And that was in the Rutgers student section of the basketball game. So that was a lot of fun. Appreciate Lance for coming out and uh, talking to me for that. <laughs> Good job by Lance. It probably doesn't surprise you at all with his personality. No, no. But so we've known him for a while, and obviously Jerron and Rutgers is 
the pick that everyone projected and probably sooner rather than later. He told me the only reason he didn't commit to Rutgers over the summer when he camped there was because he wanted to see if he could get a little more exposure and have a little more excitement around his Rutgers commitment when it happened. Instead of he chose Rutgers because that was his offer, he wanted it to be he chose Rutgers over X and Y and Z. So he waited a little bit longer. And, you know, I called him up, texted his dad. When I heard about the commitment, they said, yeah, you know, go ahead, put it up. We don't really want to make a big deal out of it quite yet. So put it up, got a story ready. When he was ready to announce it, we put out the story. And, you know, good day for Rutgers. You had the analysis up on the site as well for any members that want to check it out. Now, I have not dealt with Jerron very much. Uh, You have. Sure. I called him. I was at the game. They lost on Friday. I called, just so you know what kind of kid he is, I call him up just to do a story on him. And he says, all right, uh, I kind of have made my decision, but I'm not going to put it out. We'll let you know when to put it out. And I hung up with him, and I think a few minutes later they spoke with you and said, yeah, just just put it out there. You were good with it. The interview will come out later, but you're good with just putting it out right now is how it went. And then he called me back like five minutes later and said, look, uh, if you need some quotes, I'll give you some quotes for when we're ready for the full interview to be out. Right. And I said, well, you talked to Sam. That's cool. I don't want to double up on your workload and knowing me I probably spent twice as much time on the phone with him just talking and congratulating and and talking about his game on Friday night than if I did an interview right but it it tells you though that it's a family that gets it that that wants to be at Rutgers and really sees the vision of coach Ash and also gets things understands how things are done and it's really you know I hope to have a few more kids coming through the pipeline because they're a fun family to deal with Definitely, it's like uh, it's like the the young archidiaconos. There's there's a couple of like twelve, thirteen year old kids left in that family. We'll see what which athleticism genes that they get because you never know when the next wave is coming. So it, it was nice. It was nice to you know report on that, and you know everyone had the stories up from all the sites, and there was all the buzz and exclusively. The, the bottom line is Rutgers likes him. Rutgers got him, and now you have two very well-respected North Jersey public school athletes committed in 2019, which is the start you want. That's what Rutgers Wheelhouse is right now, public schools throughout the state, not just North Jersey, but throughout the state, the private schools, whatever. Uh, But another thing about Hayek's commitment, there's a familiar name also on the roster. Yes. Yes. And Let's see if you know how to pronounce this one. I got this easy. I've known the brothers for years. I'm willing to bet you don't know how to pronounce it properly. Charles Njoku. Incorrect. <laughs> anyway, I watched him play. He's got a lot of skill. Watching him just standing out there is like watching his brother David or Evidence. Same body type, same length, same great athleticism. The hand-eye coordination has to develop. I also thought the same thing. Ugh, I also thought the same thing of David, who's now in the NFL. Yeah, first round, end. first round pick. He's on Sam Hellman's fantasy team, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> and if I remember correctly, 
a certain former head coach got mad that the kid just went to Penn State to go hang out and ordered an assistant coach to drop him and pull his scholarship. And so if you want to know how the disconnect with the Njoku family came about, now evidence is down in Miami. We'll see what happens with Charles. That's where it stemmed from. Penn State wasn't even recruiting him for football, and he went on to visit, and they pulled the scholarship. So anyway, um, but watching Charles, he's got a lot of athleticism, great size. I mean, you walk onto the field, and you're like, oh, my goodness, look at this kid. And he runs well. Now, let's see if he catches the ball better as his development continues, or he can also play linebacker so he's a he's a good looking kid and I think at some point Rutgers will get involved with him and now they have somebody in this school that can really recruit him hard for the next year all right here here in part two of the news it is time to discuss bowling Rutgers is we're, we're taping this very close to a bowling alley so we can do that it is true, the bowling alley where Rutgers takes its recruits on official visits sometimes. Have we ever talked kegling before? Uh, is that like curling? No, it's another form of bowling. Kegling. I've never heard Kegler. of Kegler. Rutgers has four wins. Three Big Ten wins. Oh, that bowling. Yeah, that uh, bowling. Okay. Okay. We haven't talked about that kind of bowling in a while, ever since Carolina mailed it in in the quick lane bowl. The... Who wanted to be there less for that game, Barchi or North Carolina? Definitely Barchi, because Barchi didn't even know that presidents were supposed to go to bowl games. <laughs> uh, fair point. Yeah. Rutgers is two wins away from being bowl eligible, but technically, technically, one win has Rutgers in the bowl conversation, and here's where it gets confusing. I guarantee you, Brian, over the next month, this is going to be the new how many scholarships do we have, is this bowl question. 22. Exactly. But... The first 74 times you explain it, I mean, maybe the 75th If time. only we had a pin function on a message board that you could keep it up there and let people know. Or people would just remember it the first 80 times. So the way that it works, if you have five wins, you're five and seven team, technically you're bowl eligible, but it works like this. Every six-win team gets a bowl bid first. So after all those selections are done, the at-large bids or... Say you're the Big Ten and you don't fill all your slots, those bottom school, uh, bowl games that don't have a Big Ten team, they're eligible, stuff like that. They pick from the five and seven teams. But pick probably isn't the right word because it really comes down to multi-year APR. There's single-year APR and there's multi-year APR. And that's where Rutgers has a bit of an advantage because multi-year means it includes some of the time where Kyle Flood was not in charge. If it was single-year APR, that would be tough because of all the attrition and the arrests and the disguising yourself to go to Princeton, all that stuff. But since it's more... <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Man, how boring has this last, like, two years been to cover Rutgers football? I mean, she's I know. We're talking about <laughs> bowl, bowl games and X's and O's and player oh, development. Oh, man. It's, we're not talking about the Counting Crows concert <laughs> while the assistants are working or or captains leaving training camp to go get married for four days. Or seven-on-seven <laughs> seven Rutgers wrestling 
wrestling oh, title belts. Oh man, I forgot about that. That, that seven thing. on seven teams won to piss off all the high schools. Yeah, um, I forgot about that too. All star seven on seven team won where they get an argue. So the coaches of South Jersey high school teams are who produce kids are arguing with the Rutgers staff about why are we coming to this event when you're letting an all star team play in it against high school teams. Oh, the good old days. So anyway, go ahead. <laughs> enough of the... All right, so that's your, your flood bashing segment of the week, just like last week where we rambled you off a little bit. You should get a, a sponsor for that. Brought to you by Autoland. The way it works is you have your multi-year APR, and Rutgers is, I think, 51st. It might be 52nd. I can't remember. But of every school in the country. So what that means is Didn't that... they used to be, like, top 10? Yeah. Yes. When Shiana left, they were top 10. Correct. When Flood took over the first year, think, when it was all Shiano, they were top ten, weren't they? I th- yes, I think they were. We we were done with the flood bashing part, so we're gonna instead just talk about the bowl game stuff now. The way it works is, of the fifty teams ahead of Rutgers, some of them are automatic bids. Some of them have six or more wins, so they don't matter. Some of them have four or fewer wins, they don't matter either. So it's a matter of how many schools are ahead of Rutgers and have five wins. And that's impossible to project until we're getting into Michigan State week. And heck, Rutgers better win a fifth game before we even worry about it too much. But the fact that bowl games are coming up at all tells you exactly what Chris Ash has done. And when you look at, I did not see this team winning three Big Ten games without Blesson Austin, without Saquon Hampton, with Gio Rochino as the quarterback, with Mike Mayetti starting at center. You look at all the things that are going against this team. I mean, wow. You didn't see him winning three Big Ten games. No, I picked Period with the roster. I picked him to win three games. Yeah, but I'm guessing one of them was going to be against some one double A and another was going to be against Eastern Michigan. I think I'll go back and. uh, Good point. You may may not know what you're talking about. Uh, I look at it and that you're having discussions about bowl games, which. After the game on Saturday, Chris Ash was more than happy to discuss bowl games and yeah. and his view on things. The only thing missing was a cracked voice yelling playoffs, and and you would have had it perfect. But it it goes back to like at the beginning of the season, even the Eastern Michigan game, when we were actually talking about what went right, what went wrong, what they could have done from a coaching standpoint. It's refreshing to actually talk about football instead of buffoonery. And when I look at it, the staff has grown, and you can see their development as the season's gone on, and what they want it to be and what they've turned into being. They definitely wanted to throw the ball a lot more, which is why Kyle Boland was a starter. And fig- But they quickly learned he couldn't take care of the ball, so now Gio's the guy because he can take care of the ball even though the passing game suffers the trade-off is well worth it and you can't argue with it they've won three or four correct um i get the sense from talking to a lot of people in the area around the program in the program that the win against maryland was much more important and substantial than the wins against purdue and illinois maryland has better re- name recognition you recruit against maryland for a year and a half, Rutgers has heard about how DJ Durkin's a superior coach, and at this point, I don't know how you pick who's a better coach yeah, with both no, of it's them. Too early. But it meant a lot for Rutgers to win that game, and you and I were down on the field at the very end of it, and 
One thing that stood out to me was they were Rutgers was really well coached in that game, and you look at a guy like Juwan Harris, and I regret not mentioning it in the ten and you know our ten and ten video segment, but there was a play late in the fourth quarter on that final drive where they tried to swing the ball out to the guy in the right flat, and I was standing right there, right by where the tackle was made, and Harris diagnosed that play so quickly and broke on it so quickly and made the play. Now he's still learning and all that jazz, but he. He looked really good, and, and that's a scouting play. That's a preparation play because he recognized it before it took place. Same um, thing with Hester's pick six. It was all film study. Yeah, and he said they never throw to the tight end, so it was okay for him to leave the tight end, and, and he knew where the ball was going. And you look, and the team has gotten better. Trevor Morris probably played his best game as a Rutgers player in that game. And so now you're talking about ball games, and shoot for me i don't think they're going to a bowl at five and seven i haven't done the studies i haven't looked and see where it is we'll see get that fifth win and then i'll really care if they're going to a bowl or not but that you're having this discussion this early in november for this team is is absolutely remarkable because i picked them to win four games which is where they're at but the four games i picked them to win i'll be honest I, i didn't view it happening in this manner and so for me it's um it's interesting to see the development and the progression of the program. Everybody wants to see progress. This is progress, and you don't measure it in the wins and losses because if they lose their last three games, you're going to sit there and go, well, that year wasn't any good. You're going to say progress was made, and that's an important thing. When's the last time Rutgers was really a better second-half team than first-half team? Usually it's you load up on the easy wins and then tank. Uh, I guess maybe when they started 1-5 and five and then they won – seven straight and beat Russell Wilson back in 08 but who got hurt in that game yeah but don't worry Mike Glennon was his backup so it's not like uh Joe Martinick's coming out party was that game <laughs> something like that the the point is Rutgers is playing better they're they're finishing strong or at least in the middle part of the schedule and I can't think of a group of fifth year seniors that more deserve to go to a bowl game in a long time I mean Dorian Miller Miles Nash these guys that have been through a ton of nonsense, they've seen their classmates make the worst decisions in the world, but they stuck it out. They stuck with Chris Ash. If they get rewarded with a bowl game, I sure hope they're getting a good bowl gift. I, I think they deserve it for, for hanging in, just like you know other programs hung through some very difficult times and, and went to bowl games. And you always feel good for, when you cover kids in recruiting, you know a lot of kids at a lot of schools, so you always feel good um, when things like that happen to good kids that you can even have the bowl discussions and it's because this team is mentally tough you know this roster you know what this roster was like to think of this team as actually being mentally tough and mentally tougher than other teams um it it is absolutely astounding because there were a lot of people on this roster who quite frankly didn't put forth great efforts in years past and now when it comes down to crunch time are making plays and so I give them a ton of credit for that and I think the biggest thing is you always hear uh, football teaches how to deal with adversity blah 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 all the sports do but these kids have figured it out and I think that's a testament to what the coaching staff is like. Rutgers basketball season begins tonight there's already some juice in the program anytime you beat St. John's even if it's an exhibition that means something. I mean, these are the same kids, Corey Sanders, Deshaun Freeman, that lost at the buzzer when Sanders missed free throws as a freshman at Carneseca. 
And any Rutgers basketball fan remembers the infamous Big East tournament where everybody lost their minds at the end of the game. Beating St. John's at all, especially in all ways, the you know scrawny Issa Chom with a putback to win it, that's a big deal. <laughs> I, I did see your highlights of it, and uh, I thought it was a regular season Big Ten win with the way they celebrated, which tells you what this team is feeling, that they like each other, they're excited to play, and they want to be rewarded for good efforts and energy. My, fa- my favorite part about the whole exhibition game in the win was Steve Peichel's quote about, well, he was due to get a rebound. That is such a classic quote that I'm telling you, he should fill in on the podcast one day just with his sense of humor, preferably for you, not for me. But it was such a great line, and also that is the line coaches use who are comfortable with who they are and who understand the long haul and how to demand more from players even when things go well. I don't care how much you weigh. If you're 6'10", you need to average more than 1.7 rebounds per game. So that's what he was saying about Issa. You would figure you'd miss like one shot and get your own rebound that would count as one rebound and then just go get another somewhere. So for for Issa, who I actually I project him to start this weekend with Mike Williams, it looks like he's going to be okay with his knee injury, but I don't know if you want to go three guard and test him 30 minutes a night with the uh, low quality of competition Rutgers faces this weekend. But the the most interesting thing that I'll be watching this weekend is what Rutgers does with the center position. C.J. Geddes is a tough loss. He did a lot for this team last year, and that's exactly what you want out of a grad transfer. He was the you know, he was the Gus Edwards times two of that team. He carried them at times, and he helped change the culture of a locker room that was not very good. So how do they replace him? They've got three or four guys, but none of them. I bet you they become more athletic, though, at center. They do. Mamadou Ducor, who started against St. John's, I don't know if he's going to start tonight because he picked up four fouls in six minutes against St. John's, but he's super athletic. I think he's the future of the position. We'll just see how how close he is. Candido Saw was the main guy that they used. I think he played like 14 minutes. Shaq Dorson's coming off his 86th foot injury, so it's hard to trust him with more than a couple minutes. And as much as Deshaun Freeman can be a beast inside, he's not big enough to be a center in the Big Ten. First of all, their non-conference schedule is horrendous, and we understand that. But it's also the right move. And it's the right move for exactly what you're talking about. You, You have to go play in the Big Ten, which what you do in the Big Ten dictates where you go, whether you get in postseason or not. So you need to use the preseason non-conference stuff to really figure out what your roster is your rotation who plays where who complements who you know who works best on the floor together who can really play tough when you need them to play tough and if you get better down the line you can add some of those non-conference games that are more marquee and, and and more sexy to look at but for me it's a I would think they'll go two and zero this weekend, Sam. And if they don't, that's a um, problem. <laughs> you're going to be doing a lot more women's soccer stories than maybe you you thought of. But I look at it, and I'm curious to see the development. And one thing I'm really curious to watch is Corey Sanders' minutes, his shot selection, his unselfishness versus selfishness, and his production, because I feel like for the first time probably since he's been at Rutgers, you get the sense that 
they don't have to have him on the court. So if he's not performing, you don't have to put him out there, and it, and it should push him to become a better player, and that's what you want. I think that that's where they want to get. I don't think they're close to there yet because if you watch St. John's, they were a disaster when Sanders picked up his fourth foul and was off, and then you bring Sanders in down by seven, and you come roaring back, you don't pull him the rest of the game, and you win it. So that's where they're trying to get, and Geo Baker is a big part of that. Scheduling-wise, I don't think Steve Peichel plans to make it a tougher schedule anytime soon. Well, look, I covered UConn way back when, and Steve learned from Jim. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, Jim would always play that one marquee game, whether it was Notre Dame or whatever, you know, non-conference. But, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. And and, well, and I have no problem with that because by, by in two years, they're going to a 20-game conference schedule. There's not a lot of room for tough non-conference games if you're Rutgers and you have 20 Big Ten games that's enough strength to schedule so you get to play Seton Hall which is a tournament team you get to play Florida State at home which is a good team we'll see how they are without Dwayne Bacon who's that the quarterback Corey Sanders best friend uh and they've but will they bring the bacon on the trip no he's too busy playing for Eddie Jordan down in uh, Charlotte but and 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 they've seen other good teams they've now played against Yale Monmouth and St. John's, all of which are good teams. So it's not like they're just mailing it in against Howard and Morgan State for three months, and then oh, surprise! Here comes, here comes Coach Izzo. Here comes Wisconsin. Right. So I, I got no problem with it. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they, how and what they do when Corey Sanders is not on the court, like you mentioned, because whether it's this year if he plays his NBA game again or when he graduates. Eventually, they need other stuff going on there, and it can't just be Geo Baker. You gotta, you gotta figure out what you got. You do, but again, this is a rebuild, and it takes time to build your depth through the ro- you know on a roster. Still, it's the same. It, you can do it quicker than football, but you still, ha- you're not going to go out and get two great point guards in a class. So you have to get one after another after another, and that's how you build depth, and that's how you can offset losing a talented player. I'm just excited because I can watch if a team is bad. I can still I, I love basketball. I, I can still watch if a team is bad, if they play hard on defense and if they rebound. I can't watch them when I sit there and I think the coach is like, is he even doing anything? And last season, they played hard and they played tough. They weren't good, but they played hard and they played tough and they played with heart. And you'll win games, even in the Big Ten, because teams will sleep on you because you play that way. And so I'm excited to see them do that with what I think is a better roster with more talent, um, where the coaching staff has a better understanding of who they have that was already in the program and how they can be used. And also they've had a whole year now of learning what the system is that they are going to play. So I'm I'm excited for it. Uh, I, I wish I could watch it on Friday. I'll be at a game for football, but I'm I'm kind of curious just to see what they look like. Yeah, there's a lot of underrated stuff about what Pykele did this off season. He kept his staff intact. That was I give I give Hobbs credit on that. Pat yeah. Hobbs get, gets credit for paying. He does, and that was not easy because you're talking about three assistants that their next job is going to be as a head coach, and they're keeping the staff together. I think that most people, if you said that Corey Sanders was coming in here with all his hype, most people would have bet on him being gone in some capacity by now. People are so jaded by the Mike Rosarios and Eli Carters of the world. Dante Jones. Yes. Go Blue Devils. But 
they're they're getting guys to buy in that I wouldn't have bet on buying in, and the guys that have left, whether it was their choice or Rutgers' choice or whatever, Rutgers was pretty prepared for it. And for those that don't follow the basketball scene, maybe as close as they follow the football scene, Corey Sanders buying in is like Kamoko Ture buying in. I think that's a fair comparison. Um, and the thing about Corey Sanders coming back, and again, we expected it. The reason Corey Sanders comes back, it's not so much he's not ready for the NBA. I mean, it's part of it. But the other, the bigger part is he knows he will get better with his coaching staff coming back and they'll continue to develop him because you saw the progress in his game last year. And so you would hope to see it again. you got to remember, this kid came in with a lot of hype and a lot of pressure as a freshman was the only reason to watch Rutgers. He was the only reason to watch him that and to find out how bad they were going to be to fire their coach. But when you watch his progression, I'm curious to see just how much better and how much more disciplined he is as a player within a game. Welcome into the Rutgers ScoutCast mailbag. You can always tweet me at SamHellman247, email me, but our Scout Premium member, Scout247, Scarlet Report, whatever you want to call it, it's an identity crisis. You, you guys get first dibs, and both questions came to me from one of our members in a private message. Both of them are directed towards you, so I'm just the question, oh, I'm yes. just the question asker here, and I'll give my thoughts. The first question is about running back recruiting. Is How, how do you project... Isaiah Pacheco and Stevie Scott to work out early, especially knowing Pacheco plans to enroll early. Okay. Get your pencil out. I don't know. Pencils? And a pen. Digital. Pen? Get your notes thing out on your Galaxy iPhone, Android, whatever. Good question. Very good question. You can stop writing now. (laughs) Document that. It's funny because I was actually thinking about this on Monday and thinking about the game Gus Edwards had and how valuable he was against Maryland running between the tackles. And they think Stevie Scott can be that guy. The problem is Gus Edwards has a ton of experience. Stevie Scott has zero experience. And he's been injured this year. I should say, and he's coming off a senior year in which he he barely even played because of injury. And I'm wondering where that gap is going to be closed. And I could actually see them maybe not signing 22 and going with 21 and looking in the grad transfer market for another big-bodied running back. And that's not a slight against Stevie Scott. It's it's You need somebody with experience. Because you saw, you know, Jerry Kill talked about the play Gus Edwards made after he caught that swing pass for the touchdown. And that was huge. But that happens because you're experienced. But it was his running throughout the game and his ability to use quick feet to make a two-yard gain, a four-yard gain, and stuff like that. So I'm really curious to see what happens there. I think Stevie Scott eventually will be that guy. They want him to be that guy. And then with Pacheco, we'll see, because I think Pacheco could be that guy who lines up at different spots. Yeah. For me, I think Pacheco, I saw him at the game on Saturday. He's got to get bigger. And so the question first is, can he be big enough to be the running ba- to be a running back next year? I think next year what you're going to see is Blackshear will get a lot more reps, and then you're going to have to figure out who will step up beyond that to really become a guy that you can count on. But keep this in mind. If Sikowski is your quarterback next year, you have a chance to have a better passing game, which opens up the running game, and maybe you don't have to play as much power. If Jonathan Lewis is your quarterback next year, 
and he's healthy, then you have a chance to use him as a running back and take a lot of carries away from a running back. And when I say as a running back, I mean, you know, he's going to run read option and carry the ball maybe 10 times a game. And so you're pulling away those carries from a running back, and maybe it's not as important. And then if Gio is your quarterback, it means things didn't go well with Sikowski and Lewis. Correct. And Gio coming back for a fifth year is, I've said this before, says a lot about him because Rutgers hasn't had a quarterback stay for five years since Mike Teal. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of people listening to this barely remember him. You know, if you're a younger fan, you were like eight years old when like Mike you. Teal was a quarterback. Hey, Mike Teal and I had classes together. I don't know what you're talking about. Prodigy. Yeah, Teal and I were the only ones that showed up. The rest of the players didn't. Um, I like how you put yourself in the group of players. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't say which former running back used to cheat off of me in uh, geology exams. Rocket? <laughs> rocket? <laughs> no, I'm too old for the rocket. Rocket? <laughs> Four stars. So, the... Uh, <laughs> on scout. Where was I going? Oh, speaking of rocket with running backs, I'm, in, I'm more interested about Pacheco as an early enrollee because I think that you can put him in different spots. You look at what they've done with Josh Hicks this year, what they've done with Blackshear this year. I think Pacheco fits that mold don't forget that he plays quarterback at Vineland, so he he knows offenses a little better than, say, a Josh Hicks, who's a recruit who in high school you just give him the ball and he goes. Like he he's got a little bit more knowledge. He's got the extra semester, and you can't forget about Trey Snead. He he hasn't. Who exactly? <laughs> he he didn't really. He didn't. Funny really, story. Funny story. Before we get to Trey Snead. Walking on the sideline at the game on Saturday, you go down at the end of the game on the sideline. I point to Sam and said, he's still here? Sam goes, redshirting. Yeah. Trace Need is redshirting by design. They came to that decision together because there really wasn't, there weren't a lot of reps for him. It's a smart move, actually. Right. And if he's unhappy at Rutgers, it lets him play right away somewhere else. If he is happy at Rutgers, which so far he is, it means he's got three more years to play. And redshirt freshman Sneed with Blackshear and Pacheco as the base of your running game this spring... It works for me. Yeah, it doesn't have me excited. I was more excited about Gus Edwards because I thought he was... He's turning into what I thought he would be, just kind of like a big body guy. He's got a little more speed than I thought. But, yeah, spring will be huge to not watch spring practice to find out what's going on with running back. But I, I think that's one of the real big concerns going into the 2018 is do you have that dependable ball carrier? Off topic question, Brian, is... Also for you, and, oh, God, I hate whoever sent this. I can't remember, but I'm not hate happy. Hate is such an ugly and strong word. And I will let the hate flow through you. So that's that's how you get to the dark side. Apparently this is going to be a really good question that uh, I'm going to like. How, how does being a newspaper reporter compare to being a recruiting analyst? Because if you don't know, Brian used to write for newspapers <laughs> in L.A. And Connecticut and New Jersey. Yeah, and Trenton, yeah. Well, Trenton's in New Jersey. Prove it. <laughs> How is it different? Well, with newspapers, you don't give your opinion. I, I, I did spend time as a columnist, but for the most part, I was just reporting facts. And, and I mean, I'm not going to be naive. Of course, every story you write is going to be um, turned toward the direction you want to take the story. But sometimes when you learn the facts, you turn it another way. Being an analyst, it's great because I incorporate that into when I cover recruiting and people on the site have heard me forever say, look, I'm not writing something as fact unless it's fact. If I say something of what, if it's a factual based thing, kid commit, going to do this, going to do that kids in class, this guy's getting hired, this guy's leaving. It's fact. And so there's, I, I take that very seriously 
because I don't want anybody to be able to come back and say, well, you said this and that happened. Um, but as an analyst, you're given your opinions. You're, you're, you can be more subjective when you're evaluating kids. It's stuff like that that I think one helps the other. And I remember uh, the guy who hired me, who you know Sam and I are both indebted to, Joel Cox. When I met with him about doing this thing, you know, he was intrigued about a newspaper guy coming over because that hadn't really happened much. And now it's happening a lot more. And and I think when you check recruiting now, I think it's much more accurate in the reporting than it was when I started in this business about eight, nine years ago. I think it's a really good mix of stuff. There's a reason, at least I believe, that when... And Sam, you, you were trained as a journalist coming out. I worked in newsrooms for four years. And you, and you came into this job with the same approach I have. Um, you know, when things are thrown out there, well, this kid's looking at this and this could happen. People come to our site to find out what the truth is because we don't deal in that let's get clicks or let's make it look like we know what we're talking about when we don't. If we don't know, we'll tell you we don't know and we'll get an answer for you. Um, and I think that's what made that's what's made the site so successful. I, I agree with that. And the whole time you're talking about, you know, when you're a newspaper guy, it's dealing with facts and facts only. The whole time I'm just thinking, Ms. Vito, can you clarify if that's an opinion or a fact? <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> so there's that. I'm sure that you're happy you got out when you did because I don't think you ever once made a slideshow. I did not make a slideshow. Um, but good story. I remember Tracy Pearson runs our UCLA site, great guy, and, and he was as instrumental as Joel was in, in getting me involved. And I met Tracy through covering UCLA. And I remember Tracy was the first one that I ever saw, like, videotaping the coach after practice. And we would walk off the field, and I'd be like, dude, there's no way I'm ever doing that. And he's like, you don't know the future. You, And then maybe two Maybe a year later, I started putting up the tape recording of the coach after practice on a blog. And when I came to cover Rutgers, I remember sitting with Greg Schiano in his office. And he's like, what do you plan on doing, you know, as you're trying to get to know the coach? And I told him I wanted to video every interview he did after practice. And he's like, okay. He goes, I have no problem with that. And the first couple times I did it, everybody was like, wow, what's this? And and I remember people on the site didn't even know what to do in terms of watching it. And now I think videos incorporate so well into so many sites because it tells a different story with facial reactions and pregnant pauses and all that stuff. And with our podcasting and videos, we get away with a lot more. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's just put it this way. If you're writing a 200, 300, 400 word story, somebody's probably sitting in a PR office with a highlighter well, you got Probably pink, different colors. Pink highlighter, you got red, you got yellow. <laughs> and um, I remember talking with Jason Baum, the former Rutgers SID, about it, about how he had his different colored highlighters for their staff because that's how Greg wanted things highlighted when he was the coach. And so I'm like, well, wait a minute. If I put video out there... You can't highlight Greg, a video. Greg's not watching a four-minute video. And Jason's not going to sit there and start typing up what was said. And so... Um, you wind up getting better stuff, to be honest. Well, this has been another episode of the Rutgers Scout Cast. Thanks for listening. 
I appreciate the time that I got with Kai Hester this week. He's a popular man. He's a busy man, and he watches a lot of films, so it was fun to chat with him for just a little bit. Would have loved to get him for 10, 15, 20, three hours, but it doesn't work like that. And the time I got, we made the most out of it. Thanks to Brian Doan for giving me more time with him. Now, if you ask me, I would have traded the time I had with Brian for the, tra- the time I had with Hester. That way I could get Kai for 45 and I could be rid of Brian after like five minutes. But it is what it is. Instead of just closing out with a thank you and a reminder to rate and review in Apple Podcasts, please do that, by the way. Uh, I want to close with a quote. A.J. Blazek, I was just doing a generic feature on one of his players the other day, and I asked him this question, and his answer was awesome. Like, if I'm, if I'm a recruiting guy at Rutgers, if I'm, heck, if I'm A.J. Blazek, I'm making sure that every offensive line recruit hears this or reads this quote because it's awesome and it's really funny. So uh, here's a quote from A.J. Blazek to close out the show. Thanks for listening. Coach Ash always likes to say, uh, Mike Maddy, that's not what a Big Ten center looks like, but he plays like one. What yeah. is he doing? We're like a bunch of ugly prom dates. <laughs> but they hang out together, and they're playing pretty good together. They bought into taking care of each other. And uh, every one of those guys, you know, are, I mean, you go to – Tariq came here as a guard that nobody else wanted. Okay, Kamal Seymour was a D-tackle. It was a third-teamer. Maddy, call him what you want. All the names, I know them all because I was one of them. Uh, you know, the rest of these guys – we're a bunch of uh, we're a bunch of mutts, and we just go to work. And that's smart, tough, and dependable. You've heard me say that a hundred times. Sure. Yeah, the better player you are, you run, and all that stuff's great. But I want guys that want to go beat the hell out of people together. And if you got five of them to seven of them, you got a chance to be pretty good.